This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. books. I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comic show. I am one of the hosts, Matthew Rushing, but of course I could not do this show without my illustrious host from the north, Dan Gunther. Dan, how are you doing? Hey Matthew, uh, doing pretty well. Again, as always, happy to be here. Uh, you know, this really is a highlight of my week, coming on here and talking about Star Trek books. I really can't think of a better way to spend my time. <laughs> you know, the fact that we've had Star Trek books and we have Star Trek comics, we have interviews with authors, I, I really do agree with you. It's so much fun. Uh, you know, I think recently, you know, just when we were talking about... Um, the Star Trek Green Lantern crossover, it's been so much fun. I, I've really enjoyed, uh, obviously, last week we had Star Trek Ongoing number 50, which was fantastic. And then, you know, the quality of the books, for the most part, has just been so good that th- there's nothing to complain about. You know, the fact that, oh, I'm going to come and I'm going to talk about Star Trek book. This one was great. I can't wait to talk about what's going on. So, yeah, i mm-hmm. right there with you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, like you say, the quality of books we've been getting this last year, especially I've noticed, has just been a real banner year for Star Trek fiction. And I know I've said that, you know, the last few years, but man, this this year just they keep coming and they they're better and better every time. With the news there, uh, we do want to remind everybody that Seekers 4 is out, all that's left, and uh, so you'll want to be picking that up and, of course, cracking it open or hitting it up on your iPad or Kindle because uh, we'll have Dayton and Kevin here to talk with us in a few weeks, so make sure you're set for that. And um, I'm really looking forward to diving into this one. I got to say, too, just the cover alone is so brilliant. Like, I love the cover of all that's left yeah rob caswell has really knocked it out of the park with this one again uh and i think we've said before on the show to have these as full-size posters on the wall would just be a fan's dream come true because these really are just gorgeous pieces of star trek art so worth oh my gosh yeah the cover price alone (laughs) for that (laughs) well and it was really strange today because, Dan, I, I was not expecting us to have a lot of news because I hadn't seen anything. You know, I, I check the Trek Collective every day and uh, take a look at all of the other Star Trek websites trying to make sure we're not missing anything. And about, uh, I don't know, uh, later in the afternoon, I'm looking at things and I, I see this brand new post with some really exciting things and... One, we're getting another Deep Space Nine book next year. Uh, This one's by Jeff Lang, and I really enjoy Jeff Lang's writing, so I cannot wait to have this happen. Mm -hmm. And this one's called Force in Motion, and it's really going to be a buddy cop kind of thing with O'Brien and Nog, which I'm just, I'm so looking forward to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'd heard the news that they were going to be paired up for this book uh, from Jeff Lang. And, uh, but then today we've got this great blurb released, which really introduces a really fascinating element that I really can't wait to uh, read about because uh, it brings back one of my, a plot point from one of my favorite TNG episodes, uh, The Wounded. So this looks really good. 
And, well, the uh, blurb is this. It's in 2367, Captain Benjamin Maxwell, the starship Phoenix, ordered the destruction of a Cardassian warship and a supply vessel, killing more than 600 crew members. Maxwell believed that the Cardassians were arming for a new attack on the Federation, and though history proved that he was probably correct, the Federation had no choice but to court-martial and incarcerate him. Almost 20 years have passed, and now Maxwell is a free man working as a maintenance engineer on a private science station, Robert Hooke, home to crackpots, fringe researchers, and possibly something much darker and deadlier. Maxwell's former crewmate, Chief Miles Edward O'Brien, and O'Brien's colleague, Lieutenant Commander Nog, have come for a visit. Unfortunately, history has proven that whenever O'Brien and Nog leave Deep Space Nine together, unpredictable forces are set into motion. This sounds really good. Uh, it's kind of almost got that little bit of a whimsical aspect to it that I think we've come to expect from Jeffrey Lang uh, with, uh, for example, his last novel, The uh, Light Fantastic. You know, just had some kind of fun little bits in there. And I, I feel like this is setting up something a little bit more lighter. Uh, and especially with this space station with crackpots and fringe res- researchers. I really can't wait to see what uh, what this novel has to offer us here. Wouldn't it be like, and I don't think this will happen. Wouldn't it be amazing if Data showed up for just a little bit in the book? Oh, man. Like just as, you know, like... Not as a huge thing, but just seems like a place with where Data is in his life that he might show up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could That's see him wild like speculation. crackpot so. <laughs> fringe researcher kind of thing. There yeah, you go. Absolutely. Data's that crackpot wild researcher, yeah, so. <laughs> ah, that could be fun, yeah. <laughs> so another bit of uh, book news here. Uh, we've got... Uh, a TOS ebook novella coming next year in February, and this one's by Greg Cox, and it's called Miasma. And uh, the back cover it goes like this: The Enterprise A is transporting a party of diplomats when it picks up a mysterious alien signal emanating from a nearby world. The planet's dense, impenetrable atmosphere makes it unclear if the beacon is a distress signal, an invitation, or a warning to stay away. Spock, Dr. McCoy, and Chekhov are part of a team sent to investigate, but an unexpected catastrophe forces a crash landing. Now the landing party is stranded on a hostile world, unable to communicate with the Enterprise. While Captain Kirk and Savick race to locate the lost crew, a badly wounded Spock struggles to keep McCoy and the others alive until they can be rescued, even if that means making an unthinkable sacrifice. Hmm. What? <laughs> like what would he be i what would he sacrifice i don't yeah i mean it is the unbelievable sacrifice maybe leaving mccoy behind or Ooh. i mean i don't know this like there, there's a lot going on here first of all you know it's set during the enterprise a voyages which is very cool because we don't get a lot of those Super cool. This is like, yeah, this is the time period I need more books. Absolutely. And B, yeah, this this unthinkable sacrifice and Spock struggling to keep people alive, it kind of makes me think of the Galileo 7 and, you know, things like like missions like that where Spock's been put in this position where uh, he has to rely more on his emotions than logic maybe. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing here, but this sounds pretty cool. Not only that. But there's a certain Vulcan who's back in this story. Yeah, Savick, one of my absolute favorite characters. Uh, that's really exciting uh, to have her back in the story uh, during this Enterprise A period, kind of echoing the way DC Comics did Star Trek with Savick on the bridge uh, instead of Sulu, who at this time might have gone off already to become captain of the Excelsior. Uh, This is very cool. I can't wait to read this one. So I got a question for you, though. Do you picture Robin Curtis when you read this, or do you picture Kirstie Alley? (laughs) Well, this, I I feel like this might be a bit of an unpopular answer, uh, but I tend to picture Robin Curtis... Uh, I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, 
I think I did see Star Trek three at a young age and just absolutely fell in love with uh, Robin Curtis's Savick. Uh, and I have met Robin Curtis at a convention and thinks she's she's just incredible. So I feel like sometimes she gets a bit short shrift and not the respect she deserves for stepping into what must have been a very difficult role after Kirstie Alley started it off. So I'm uh, I'm a little bit in the Robin Curtis camp on that one. Well, and what's interesting is I think there is Kirstie Alley was very young when she was in Star Trek Two, mm-hmm. and Robin Curtis had she was not you know old or anything when she played, but there was something about her I felt like that I can almost picture her aging into Savick as she gets a little bit older in in a way that I haven't been able to do in my mind, I think, with Kirstie Alley. And maybe that's just because of the way that the films happened and, you know, Kirstie Alley did not continue with the role. So I don't know. I It's interesting a question of, of who would you picture and um, is it is it Kirstie Alley, uh, Savick is just a little bit older or you go with that Robin Curtis and I don't think there's a wrong answer there it doesn't really matter so it's just the mm-hmm. character she's going to be back and I think that's really fascinating um because you know with some of the books they they took it that her and Spock got married and you know had a kid because I, I think if I remember correctly and, and all the fans will write me and let me know I was wrong but I I remember somewhere that in the script for Star Trek 4 that she was going to be staying on Vulcan because she was pregnant Mm -hmm. and it was obviously going to be Spock's kid because of all the pond far from (laughs) Star Trek 3 so yeah um, but that never made it into the the screen Uh, and so but people had picked that up and picked up that relationship and created a you know, uh, storyline there. So, um, yeah, I'm really interested to see what her role is here uh, on the Enterprise. And, and the Enterprise A is my favorite. I love that Enterprise, especially when I think about the way it looks in Star Trek Six. I love mm-hmm. that bridge. It just, I think that bridge is the perfect link between that and the next generation you know yeah. that it's it's almost getting to that kind of place but it still has a more military you know submarine feel to it and mm-hmm. just everything about that ship even like that chair yeah that kirk's chair in that enterprise like this is really obsessing over small details and really getting geeky here but uh one whoa thing whoa, whoa. we're on a show about star <laughs> trek books i think that's gonna be okay <laughs> Fair enough. But I, the one thing I remember in Star Trek Six is they built more levels into the bridge than they did yep, in previous yeah. movies. And I always think of that scene where Kirk uh, walks around beside Valeris and just go, walks down really low when he orders like right standard rudder, bring us alongside. And I, I don't know, just something about the dynamics of that scene and how many levels there are on the bridge. And again, this is really getting into the minutia, but... Yeah, that, I loved the whole look of that movie, and the Enterprise herself was just gorgeous. So, well, yeah, and I, I, Nick Meyer just knew what he was doing, um, in in all of that, and they really, the Enterprise in some ways, I just felt like in that movie was more a character again. You know, at, at Star Trek Five, you, you really don't, it, the the ship is barely together. Mm-hmm. So you're really not seeing it in her prime anyway. And so, uh, and then of course there isn't one at all in Star Trek four, except for the model that they put the A on. So yeah, it's, um, I really like this enterprise. So I, mm. I can't wait to read this book. I'm so glad that Greg is continuing his trend of working in the movie universe. And I, I hope that people will buy this one. So we'll get more because, uh, working in this time period, there's really a lot you can do. It, it's, you know, a whole other period of Star Trek that just doesn't get touched that much. And uh, I hope it really does um, light a fire for people to want to, you know, read more. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. 
Before we head off into our feature, where we're going to be continuing in the Mere Anarchy series, I want to remind everybody that Literary Treks is part of the Trek FM network, and we've got 20 different shows on the network with special feeds as well. You can find us on iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We are a feature provider there, so check all the shows out. You know, um, obviously you're listening to Literary Treks, but there's so many different shows on the, the network covering every single part of Star Trek, and if you don't believe me, Check it out. And then we've got things beyond Star Trek with the 602 Club. So we're talking about all of geekdom, really, on the network. You can also find us at trek.fm slash contact. That is our website. You can also find us at trek.fm. That is our website. If you'd like to contact us, get in touch with anyone on the network, you can do that on Twitter at trek.fm. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. If you'd like to send us an email about anything in the Star Trek book universe, comics, anything like that, go to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose Literary Treks, and that'll come to me and Dan. We would love to have a voicemail from you. Go to the sidebar on any show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. And of course, we also have something special for Literary Treks, and that is the Goodreads group. Go to Goodreads, type in Literary Treks, or you can go to our show pages for Literary Treks bring you right there to Goodreads. We've got the bookshelves. We also have, I have every single book listed from now till the end of the year that we're going to be reading it on our shelves right now. So you can check that out, know what's coming up all the way through the end of the year. And we've got some great conversations going on too. So we hope you'll join us. Well, Dan, I'm excited that we are going to be continuing in the Mere Anarchy series. We've been working our way through this ebook series that was celebrating the 40 years of Star Trek right before we're about to hit our 50 years of Star Trek. So I'm excited about that. And uh, this one is called The Darkness Drops Again. And this one was by Christopher L. Bennett. And, um, you know, it, it's it's a cool place that they're telling this story because this one is in the era of uh, the movies, but it's after the motion picture and kind of through that era where, you know, through the motion picture into Star Trek two. And then when Kirk has decided, you know, to leave Starfleet for Antonia. So all through that era there, that, which is a pretty long time period. Um, that's when this whole novella takes place. And there's a whole interesting part to it too. There's part one, part two and part three, each kind of specific uh, to these different time periods. So I thought it was a really interesting setup and it, and a really, clever way to tell the story especially since you know the movie area you know you, it is a it's expansive with as much time as it takes you know between you know for the motion picture all the way to star trek six mm-hmm. yeah it was uh actually quite surprising when i read this story i was expecting you know a primarily post motion picture five-year mission type story and then when it continued on into the era after that with Spock captaining the Enterprise and it, you know, working as a cadet training ship and Kirk retiring for that, you know, period of time there before he came back to Starfleet, I thought that was very cool. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the motion picture era and the Enterprise A era being periods that we don't see a lot of. Uh, this whole period here where Kirk left Starfleet for a time, we really never, ever see any of that except, uh, you know, for that brief glimpse in Generations in the Nexus. Uh, we really don't know a lot about that t- uh, time in Kirk's life at all. So this was this was a really pleasant surprise there to get to see a bit of that. Yeah, I, w- I was really, you know... <sighs> Like you said, it's it's generations where really get a taste of kind of what Kirk was doing, and we actually see a scene reminiscent at the very end. Of, we're jumping in the end of the book, but uh, of of where Kirk is at that point. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting place to tell the story, but it also gave a way for you know Ahura is on the cover here, but it's really I think Spock and McCoy dealing with Kirk not being as present in their lives at, at this time period mm-hmm. um, in some ways. And so I thought that was really interesting as well. And it, it led to some neat things to see because we don't really see Spock as captain of the Enterprise 
uh, in things, in books, because of course everybody wants Kirk, but this one does give us that opportunity to see what it was like when Kirk wasn't captain of the Enterprise, when he was hanging out in, you know, the the northwest of the United States at a cabin, chopping wood and reading books. <laughs> With his dog Butler. Can't forget yeah. Butler. <laughs> uh, well, in doesn't that just sound like the best vacation ever? It really does, yeah. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Spock being a captain here. I thought that was that scene where, you know, Spock's facing off against the ships from Mystico as captain of the Enterprise. I thought that was very cool. We see kind of a very unique command style from him. Uh, and of course, at the first opportunity, he jumps up and takes the science station. So, you know, kind of falling back into old habits there. But, you know, very uh, interesting to see something that we've never seen before, really. Well, and the interplay between, you know, him and McCoy and, you know, the the way that his experience with V'ger has had a real impact on the way that he deals with his emotions and deals with other people and, you know, how him and McCoy grow closer in this time period because Kirk isn't always there with them. Mm. Uh, and, you know, there's even a, a whole scene and uh, that's happening on the bridge and, and Spock in his mind is thinking how, you know, the doctor would have gotten on his nerves before, but how he's come to view the doctor as the foil to help make him think even better than he does, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and so I just, I really, all of those things I think were really interesting and, and really the, the best parts of the book for me, those little character nuggets that we were getting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. For me, you know, these books are always about the characters and yeah, like you say, the interplay among those two former adversaries, now mostly just friends it was really good to see uh well and there's that great scene where box says something very complimentary towards mccoy with just kirk there and kirk says i'll have to sell bones who said that and spock's like please don't do that captain <laughs> and it's just fantastic it's so you know it, it reminded me of that scene in star trek 5 where he's like not in front of the klingons yeah <laughs> definitely and you know it's 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 almost a little bit of uh humor on spock's part which is always fun to see him kind of get that wry little you know from anyone else would there'd be a little smirk attached but with spock it's just you know straight faced and was that a joke i think it was but you can never really tell <laughs> i'm gonna let you figure that out yourself <laughs> exactly <laughs> well you know, the book has a lot to do with the, the situation on Mystico, which has really reached a, a critical point. Mm. Um, you know, that this planet has been dealing with this suffering for a long time. And Mystico's self-determination here of making their own choice and how they're going to deal with it is is very different than what we've seen and, and obviously it goes to the fact that Kirk is maturing on the subject of how to intervene and when to mm -hmm. intervene and what to do about it um, and all of that with the way that that character matures from the original series and into the Kirk that we see in the movies which is to me the Kirk that I usually think of so it's interesting how this storyline Christopher Bennett really uses it to give us a picture of the maturing of Captain Kirk from being the cowboy to more of honestly kind of more of the Picard style really you know yeah, I mean he's still definitely. the action hero cowboy in some places but there's a lot more Picard in this Kirk in this book which is really very surprising Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, there's a, you know, the Prime Directive is unpopular with a lot of people. And I, I would posit was very unpopular with Kirk during the original series. You know, he would come in and say, what you're doing is wrong. This is how you should be doing things. And, you know, we're here to make sure that it happens. Um, you know, and he could probably have done that with Mystico. So in this story, the government gets overthrown. And with that coup, the Federation's invitation disappears. So the new government that takes over says, we want to go alone. 
and uh, the Federation and all aliens have to leave. And, you know, the leader who's ousted, who we've followed through the books up to this point, basically assumes that the Federation is going to back her and, you know, take her world back. And Kirk says, no, we can't do that. You know, the sitting government has said that we can't be here and, you know, we can't. And of course, she's very hurt by this and thinks that she's been abandoned. But, you know, through the course of the story, by what happens, Mystico basically comes into its own and realizes uh, its mistake and matures and invites the Federation back eventually. Um, And the point of the story is, and this is a theme in the story, is that couldn't have happened if the Federation had just decided to force its will and Kirk keeps the government in power and that kind of thing. The people wouldn't have realized the, you know, the error of their ways if they hadn't have gone through that. And yeah, like you say, it's very interesting that the Kirk of of the original series probably would have been more hot headed and engaged in cowboy diplomacy. But the Kirk we see here really is playing the long game and understands the value of the prime directive in this situation. It's almost as if. The salt and pepper in his hair led to some wisdom, you know, like uh, <laughs> it, it It really, it, there is a change here. And, and I think what it is, is that Kirk has learned the lesson that, yeah, you can lead a horse to water and you can make them drink the water, but that doesn't mean they're going to continue to come back to the water. Mm-hmm. You know, it's better to have the horse think it was his idea to get the water. You know, in the same way that if you have ever been in therapy, that's the goal of the therapist is to to get you to think it was your idea mm-hmm. so that you'll make the change. And yeah. that's exactly what Kirk is doing with the Mystikoans here is they have to experience this for themselves. You know, nothing, nothing really replaces experience in our lives. And I think we've all been in situations where that's really the case. Um, and you know, everybody always asks that question. Oh, if you could go back in time, what would you change? Well, if I went and changed anything, I wouldn't be who I am today. So as horrible as the situations have been or the things that I've done, I, I have a hard time saying, oh, I'd go back and do this because I wouldn't Mm. be who I am today. Maybe that's better. Maybe that's worse. But I mean, I guess that was the point of tapestry and generation (laughs) to try and answer that question. So uh i that's really kind of what's what's happening here and i think this is um a this is i think to me on top of the character stuff this was the other part of the book that i i really liked Mm -hmm. um that whole idea because i thought that was really cool and and again it was a really a character moment because it was really about kirk it -hmm. wasn't really about the mystiquins you know uh, even though this whole story is really about, it seems like it's about them. It's, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of mm-hmm. not like they're just the way in which Kirk is learning to mature. Yeah. And, and that whole end part where, um, you know, the, the deposed, uh, Mystico leader realizes how her planet has changed for the better due to, what Kirk did as opposed to, you know, storming in and helping her, but instead allowing them to, you know, seek their own path and eventually come around makes it that much stronger. I, I, I loved that whole, that basically that whole last part where she's coming to that realization, thanks to, you know, some choice words of Spock in you know, helping her see what Kirk has done by not acting uh, is so much more valuable than what he could have done otherwise. And uh, of course their reunion where she, you know, realizes that and, and sees him again. I, I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was a really good, uh, um, really good summation of the theme of one, one of the themes of this story for sure. Well, and of course at the end of the book, when Rhea and Kirk see each other again, you know, she challenges him and, 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 Bennett writes the book as if maybe this is the thing that spurs Kirk to realizing he's not utilizing his talents to their fullest extent. 
Mm-hmm. And maybe he shouldn't just be sitting around reading books and riding the horse and, you know, whatever he does with Antonia. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it, maybe that's not all there is to life. Um, I, I don't think as much as that she implies that he's just been wasting his time. I don't think that's necessarily the case, mm-hmm. though, because I, what I liked about the story here is there did have this, this great sense that Kirk did need this rest. Mm-hmm. You know, he needed time to get away after so many years, and and even the celebrity that came from him saving the you know the world from Vager, uh, and that the pressure that put on him. Uh, I think that this time away did him good, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it allowed him to come back and, and be the captain that we knew from, you know, uh, Star Trek to onward. So yeah. or and, I guess Star Trek, uh, I guess it would probably be actually Star Trek. Yeah. Two, three onward. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I, I do like that. She does say that to him, you know, when he talks about his life now and she says, you know, that, that sounds like a nice vacation, <laughs> you know, and she acknowledges that, yeah, okay, cool. You probably deserve a bit of a rest, but, you know, what What are you doing? What are you accomplishing? What, you know, what, it's, it's, it's almost like you say it, it's, it's mirroring what happens in generations when Picard finds Kirk in the same situation and says, you know, you come out there and make a difference again. Don't sit around here in this, uh, it's not a fantasy world, but it really is just a consequence-free lifestyle, right? And, you know, where do you, you can spend your time in a much more valuable way and, and make a difference in the galaxy again. And, you know, the it ends open-ended, but of course we do know that he does eventually go back to Starfleet. And, you know, was this kind of the final push to get him to do that? Uh, it's possible for sure. You made an interesting point on the outline that we have about the world doesn't revolve around your world. <laughs> and the way in which the Mystiquins, you know, they, everything for them revolves around them in the situation they're in, which makes sense. I mean, they're fighting for their very survival. And so to have that view, it, it's hard to view anything else but trying to survive. Um and, you know, for for Kirk, you know, he promoted despite the quote-unquote mishandling of the situation, even though he didn't mishandle anything, he did all he could, and then he retires and lives away from Starfleet, even though Mystico is suffering. Uh, it's kind of an interesting perspective about the, you were talking about the influences on our interpretation of events, mm-hmm. and... um you know, obviously the Mystiquans see it one way and everybody else on the other side sees it the other way. And it's just, it's from a certain point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I just found that a very interesting aspect of the story. You know, every, you know, when the, when the government of Mystico is talking about Kirk, you know, they're like, ah, you know, Starfleet promoted him, even though, you know, he totally mishandled the situation and all this stuff. But yeah, like you say, it's, they're only seeing a small slice of it. So it it got me to thinking like if we lived in the Star Trek universe, you know, how would we see things, right? Uh, Our perspective totally influences our interpretation and perception of events. These people are such a small part, (laughs) sorry to say, of what happens to Kirk in his life and his career. You know, they don't know about Khan. They don't know about his son. They don't know about all these things happening in Kirk's life. And I just, it really struck me as interesting. And it was kind of an interesting uh, thing for the the author to put in there that, you know, everything is viewed through this lens of their own experiences, right? So, oh, Kirk, Kirk retired probably because he can't handle what happened with Mystico and all this kind of stuff. And it just really struck me as interesting that, you know, when it really comes down to it, this is such a small part of his career, but you know, from the perspective of, you know, someone from Mystico, that's all that matters. I just thought it was an interesting way to look at events. 
Yeah, and I mean, it goes to that question about, you know, what does Kirk do with all these planets that he does just leave, you know, and, and mm-hmm. the authors have done some things in that, you know, milieu of saying, you know, that Kirk does think about those things and he goes back, he's visited those planets again, you know, even though we don't see it in the show. But yeah, that is, I mean, it is an interesting thing, the idea of perspective and how we look at things. And I I think, you know, that's one of the things that makes uh, a person more enlightened is that they are able to put themselves in the shoes of another person Mm. and try to see things from a different perspective, from a different point of view. And, you know, that's that's not where Mystico is at that point. But again, it's not necessarily their fault because they are fighting for the very survival of their race Mm -hmm. and it's been a really tough road for them it's been a long road (laughs) getting from there to here uh for all you enterprise fans so yeah i i think that's and they've had a hard time of it because they have a, a government that is because this has taken such a long time because it's taken the patience of the Mystico people, they're wearing thin. And so it's getting to be that point where the more radical elements of their culture can begin to seep back in and create a power struggle. And that's exactly what happens, you know. Uh, and what it, I, what's interesting to watch here, and I thought was so interesting in, in, in reference to just society today, this is what happens when the government doesn't have honesty with its people about something like this. I mean, we're not talking about clandestine war, that kind of stuff where you need secrecy. Mm-hmm. But but talking about the truth of what's happening to the planet, that kind of stuff that these people are on... Uh, it seems like there's been a lot of different stories and what they have and haven't been told. And, and you add the media to that too. It just, it creates a huge mess for this culture to where it devolves into, well, of course they kind of find themselves being drawn to a more radical side. The, it is saying they're going to give them a foundation, mm-hmm. you know, it because their foundation is it continually, it seems like to them, I think, falling apart Mm -hmm. and i mean you know this is something that seems very very familiar i mean we've seen it in uh earth quote unquote earth history (laughs) the only history we know uh we've seen it in history many many times i mean you know if you want to go to the same well of of going you know to the usual example that everyone goes to germany after world war one of course had been dealt a crippling blow and its economy was you know, completely destroyed. So a Hitler sounds very appealing. You know, someone who says, I can bring everyone together, follow me, we'll be pure, we'll be, you know, Germany for Germans and, uh, you know, any outside influences and, oh, look at those scapegoats over there, let's blame them for everything. Uh, and then, you know, the rad- the most radical part of society comes to power and that's what dictates you know, their history going forward. Uh, I mean, you can, you can look at people following the, what, what ISIS is promoting, for example, to go to something, you know, closer to now, uh, you know, people who have undergone traumatic experiences, you know, horrible war and, and deprivation, you know, somebody preaching a, a charismatic idea of the, power of one group of people over everyone else gains a lot of power very easily because it's a good message to be able to follow because it says you're important you're more important than everyone else and we'll come together and defeat everyone and that's kind of what's going on on mystico in here and uh yeah it's it just it seems very very familiar well, and there's, and then too, that then you end up with uh, a government, and this happens a lot around the world and all over the place. The issue of the government then kind of being, the government beginning to think that 
it's the only thing that knows what's best. Mm -hmm. So let's just give the government all the power. Uh, the people don't know what's best anymore. We know what's best. So just let us handle it. Uh, and, and that's, a, you know, an even more dangerous place to be where the government begins to dictate terms to how people live. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's exactly, again, what happens in, you know, that Germany. When things don't go well, things just continue to get worse and worse and worse for the people. And it, it it's, you know, it happens all over the world. So don't just think that, oh, well, that's never going to happen to us. Right. Absolutely. You know, that's the point. You know, any time you give the government too much power, it's probably not the best thing from, I mean, and, and the, the historical examples are there from Rome to Germany to what we see in something like ISIS. You know, these kind of things, they happen all the time and they can happen anywhere without, as Professor Moody would say in Harry Potter, constant vigilance, <laughs> you know. So uh, it is a really interesting thing. Um, I would say for me, this is probably the part of the story that's a little bit too on the nose. Um and, and not as nuanced as I would like to see. It is a novella. Uh, it's definitely unsubtle. <laughs> You're definitely right there for sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess I would lo have loved to have seen. And, and part of it is I think we've kind of seen this in Star Trek a lot. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't really make it unique either. Um, and uh, yeah. So it's it's not bad. It just, it's like, Okay, I've seen it before, and the story turns out very similar to what we've seen before. So it it wasn't completely original, and uh, but it it I mean it it's still not bad. But this mm -hmm. was probably the point of the story where it it took a star or so away for me. Okay, yeah, no, and fair enough. I mean, you know, like you said, it it is very unsubtle. He does hit you over the head with it a little bit. Um, I still have the knot. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean there, there i think you're right there could have been a little bit more nuance to the story than there was um but also yeah like you say it is a novella and there is limited space um uh i i did find myself you know very obviously seeing where the story was going well before the end uh but i i, I enjoyed the ride i thought it was it was a good it was an interesting way to tell this story. Um, and especially part of it was because we followed Mystico for so long, it felt less like just the alien planet of the week and a little bit more like people and a place that I've actually started to care about a little bit. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's just because of the amount of time we've spent with them uh, or because the stories up to now have been really well written, I'm not sure which of those two plays more into it. Uh, I suspect more just that we've spent more time with them. But uh, I, I really found myself, you know, rooting for Mystico to pull through this, which is, you know, interesting more so than I would for just a Planet of the Week type story. And you're right, it definitely does help that we have been reading so many books about this one planet and this one situation and we're watching it evolve. So that, that does give us that leg up, you know, and no, not the Riker leg up, but <laughs> um, just, yeah, I, I think that is a really helpful thing. Um, I loved at the beginning of the book, and, and it was interesting, especially because in the United States we're in a presidential cycle right now, so the media and all this stuff, it's everywhere. But the idea of the media and the truth at the beginning of this book was really interesting because... I was struck by how the media and the truth are usually so far from each other. <laughs> and I'm talking about all sides of the media. So mm. whichever side you're coming from, I, I'm not just attacking one. It's all of them. And really it's because at the very end of that segment, it was, oh man, that was a great, that was great for ratings. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's the ability and, and what the 24 hour news cycle has done, especially now, this is what I was really getting out of it, to create this entertainment out of what is important, to take what is truly needed for people to know, important decisions, say like making 
a choice for president of, of the United States or any country. You guys had just had an election in Canada. Uh, so very important stuff where, where, you know, we're talking about who's going to lead countries and places where we can vote. And it, it's kind of just turned into this clown show. Mm-hmm. And the media loves it because it creates sensationalistic ratings for them. Yeah. But also just creates sensationalistic sewage when it comes to what's actually important. And, and the, the front of this book, at the beginning of this book, there's this whole argument happening on Mystico on a news show, quote unquote, <laughs> quote unquote news yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> and... People are just being pitted back and forth, and, and, and they're yelling back and forth, and nothing's ever actually really getting talked about, and it's just, it's frustrating. And, and I, I'm on a soapbox here, and I apologize, but we need to take this back, folks. We mm-hmm. we need to take it back and, and start treating and asking for, report the facts, just the facts. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I miss those days on TV when it was just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Uh, because that's what we need to make the decisions. I don't need your opinion. Mm-hmm. If I want your opinion, I'll ask you. Right. You know, so it. I I, I don't know. I, I apologize for everyone. They're like, they're tuning me out now. But it, <laughs> no, it no, was just a all. great thing in this book to see because, you know, Christopher Bennett, he's, he's not talking about any side because that's every side of, of, of the mm-hmm. media these days. Yeah, it, I, they're I in it to completely. make money. Yeah. No, I'm I'm right up there on that soapbox with you. It's a little cramped, but I'm definitely up there with you. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little cramped, but it's, I'm glad we're up here together. <laughs> But, uh, you know, you'll, you'll tune into the news and, and I'm not even, I'm not picking on a particular network, any, any network news, whatever you'll get, say, for example, they're talking about an issue to do with public health and they'll have an expert on the show, you know, someone who's worked in public health for 30 years or whatever, talking about something. And then they'll get, you know, a politician or somebody else who doesn't know anything about it and put them side by side with this person, giving them equal amounts of time and screen space um, so that he can, he or she can, you know, whip people up into a frenzy or a fear or to make people not think about something they should be thinking about, you know, either way. And, you know, why do, why do we give equal weight to that as opposed to, you know, like you said, just the facts, the truth of the matter, you know, whereas, you know, why would, why would somebody whose sole purpose is to, you know, whatever their purpose is to whip up fear or to downplay fears, whatever it is, uh, who has no knowledge about the situation, you know, and, and you see so much of that on, on news programs and, yeah, like you said, quote-unquote news programs. And it's just, it's really disheartening. Well, and and this this whole book, too, everything that's happening on Mystico here, you know, the, the mob mentality that we especially see uh, on social media these days mm-hmm. with something. And you can take your pick. I'm not going to name them for you, but take your pick of any issue right now or anything that's happened recently uh, in the last six to ten months, you can see it. People immediately jump on something, and they persecute, prosecute, and crucify whatever it is that they don't like, Mm -hmm. even if they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, blind sharing, you know, things that they they haven't checked themselves. You know, yeah, Um, absolutely. and, And so... And and for things that, you know, maybe don't require outrage, you know, mm-hmm. but you get people to that point, and that's what's happened on Mystico here, too. Right. Um, it, and I think that's, that is sad that we have come to the point where we can't think about things. We can't be rational about things. We can't have good, honest conversation about things. And we're not always, people are not always going to agree. That's, that's just going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, but that we have such wildly different two, I think, um, priorities is also the thing, you know, and what, what really matters, 
and why does it matter? Let's have these discussions because mm -hmm. it's an important thing. Let's not let the mob take over and let's not crucify or vilify or anything that for for people that haven't been in the court of law, you know, right. <laughs> because we're not them, you know. Um, and I think we see it happening all over the world. Uh, and for me living in the state specifically, I see it here all the time. You know, just because somebody took a video of something doesn't mean that you know what happened. Mm -hmm. Because there's a point before that video and there's a point after that video. Mm -hmm. You saw 15 seconds. Yep, absolutely. You don't know crap. <laughs> so, you know, that's what I think we're saying here. And, and that's what's really interesting because that's really kind of what happens in this book uh, with the Mystikoans and... Uh, that becomes like a frustrated mom mentality that takes over, that leads this coup, that kicks Raina out, that Rhea has to go live on another planet with her exiles for a while. Yeah, it's 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 a really interesting thing. So um, I, I think this book has a lot to say. It's interesting. There's some things that are too on the nose, but there's also a lot of stuff that's just, just really right for especially the world that we're living in today. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this book had been written uh, a few years later, if, you know, as well as kind of the showing the news magazine television spot, there might have been some kind of social media type thing like the Mystico uh, equivalent of Facebook or YouTube or Twitter kind of thing. I think that would have been really I, I, I would actually really love to see what that would have been like if this had been written maybe in 2011, 2012 instead of 2006. Nothing like Mystico Facebook, man. That is crazy. <laughs> I heard there's there's way too many people showing their teeth on Mystico Facebook, though. Oh, my like, gosh. They're just it's, so it, mean and horrible. It's, it's immoral what's going on on Mystico <laughs> Facebook. So, yeah, I don't. Just, yeah, you'll have to read the book to know what we're referencing. But, <laughs> uh, well, Dan, it, what would you rate this one, do you think? Well, I do have to say I, I really enjoyed uh, this one um, for the most part. Like you say, there is some stuff that's a little bit on the nose, but I did really love the kind of evolution of both Kirk's position and uh, the posi the position of Rhea in this one. Uh, a lot of the character stuff, like we talked about Spock and McCoy, I really enjoyed that sort of thing. And plus the added bonus of seeing, you know, kind of an unexpected period of time that I, I didn't really think that we'd get into at all. Uh, you know, kind of post motion picture right before Star Trek two kind of thing. Um, so overall, I think I will have to give this one uh, four out of five pulsars that help Mystico this time around as opposed to hurt it. So Nice. Um, you know, for what I said, I, I, I like a lot of things. I, I do really enjoy the character development here. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy really get some unexpected development. I, mean, I don't think you go into this book thinking that's where we're going to end up, but I really like it. Um, I like some of these issues. Uh, the things that were on the nose knock it down a little bit for me. But, uh, you know, for me, this is uh, three and a half out of five uh, alien mosses. Ooh. So, yeah, I, it is. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it, it's a good continuation of the series. And I'm really excited that, you know, as we move through uh, the end of the year, that we're actually going to be able to wrap this up. Well, Matthew, I think this time around, uh, as usual, our discussion got really deep again, this time about The Darkness Drops Again by Christopher L. Bennett. Uh, you know, some of the things we really liked about this book, some of the things we thought were a little bit too uh, on the nose, as we said, but overall, definitely a, a pretty solid entry in the Mere Anarchy, Anarchy series. Well, I mean, you know, anytime that a book is making us talk about hot button issues uh, around the world and... and we're, we, I want to. I want to say we, we try to be as respectful as, as possible. Obviously, Dan and I are both human beings, and we're going to have points of view and where we're coming from. So, if we don't quite line up with your point of view, I hope you will respect that we are trying to respect everyone's point of view. Um, but just remember that you know, as we talk through these books, we are going to have 
our, you know, Obi-Wan points of view. And I, I hope that you will appreciate that. And, and just the fact that we're trying to have the best and, and most honest uh, conversations that we can. Um, but we never want to feel like we need to hide where we're coming from. And, and so uh, I just appreciate you all listening. And I can't wait to hear what the folks have to say uh, when they when they hear the episode. So um, we hope you'll contact us, at, you know, Facebook, facebook.com slash Trek FM, uh, Twitter at Trek FM. And of course, the listeners only discussion group. Great place to talk about the episodes at, at the Babel Conference. Uh, if you type Babel in the search field on Facebook or you go to the website at trek.fm, click discussion on the menu bar there, you can get into the group. We'll let you in. It's a closed group, so it's only for listeners. That's who knows about this group, and that means that we have great conversations there because it's people who actually want to join. So come by the Babel Conference and have some great discussions with us. I'd really like to thank the associate producers that we have on the show that really are the ones that make sure that Literary Treks comes to you each week and ad-free. We really appreciate that. Will Wynn, Ken Tripp, Brandon Shea Matula, and Bruce Gibson, our brand new new associate producer here on the show. All of these guys have helped us through Patreon. You see, we're a listener-supported network, and, and what that means is that it's you, the listener, that help us keep this content coming to you. And, and with a network the size of Trek FM, it is very difficult to keep all of these shows running. It does cost quite a bit of money with the bandwidth costs for the downloads and everything like that. We have all of the costs with come with the storage space on and offline. Everything revolving around bringing this to you at the highest quality we can. And making sure that when you're listening to a Trek FM show... It's just the content. It, it's not full of ads or asking you to do things. So the only thing that we really want you to do is just go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can support the network. We've got the new Patreon zone at patreon.zone. That's for anyone who's supporting the network, $5 or over. You can listen to the shows early, which is really cool. We've got some great ringtones that Chris Jones has made, everyone. Amazing wallpapers and so much more coming to you guys. And that's for only $5 a month. If you're at $25 a month too, you can join us on the Patreon Roundtable, which is a great place. Every month we have a podcast that's just for the Patreon members at the $25 level and any of the hosts that can make it as well. So it just turns into this huge roundtable of Star Trek fans getting together to talk about it. So just go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can support us today. And then, of course, you can find our shows everywhere. We're at itunes.com slash trekfm. Once you're on iTunes, hit us up. Give us a review and a star rating. We really appreciate that. It helps other people find literary treks. And, of course, if you're not on Apple, don't worry. We've got you covered. Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. If you go to the website at trek.fm, you can download the MP3 file, and you can also grab the RSS link as well. Now, Dan, when you're not trying to find a way to make alien mosses grow in your living room, where can we find you? <laughs> well, you know, like, uh, like Matt Damon, I'm going to science the beep out of this. <laughs> Well, Matthew, uh, you can find me online, my um, website, www.treklit.com, where I uh, review Star Trek novels, both old and new. I'm on facebook.com slash treklitreviews, and on Twitter, at treklitreviews, and my personal Twitter account, at Kurtrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S, and of course, Instagram, uh, my name on there is Kurtrats47, and of course, you can also find me on the Babel Conference. And uh, Matthew, when you're not out chopping wood, wearing a plaid lumberjack shirt, uh, where can we find you? You know, I got to say, it's one of my favorite outfits. So, and uh, it's nothing better than the fresh air. Ah, brisk. Wonderful. Uh, Well, when I'm not doing that, uh, I'm usually taking pictures of that on Instagram at mrushing. You can also find me tweeting about it at mattrushing02. I am also on The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively. In fact, just interviewed Michael Dorn for the show, which I got to say, talking to Worf was pretty awesome, so check that out. Uh, 
do the 602 Club, where we talk about all things geeky. I mean, we have some fantastic shows there coming up. With Star Wars coming up, we've been talking a lot of that. We've also got Spectre coming up with Bond, talking that. We'll be talking about the very last Hunger Games film. I mean, so many things coming down the pipeline as we're here at the end of this year. So check out the 602 Club, because we have a lot of fun there. And I've got to say, Ruby serves the best drinks. And then, of course, you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.